What's up, everybody? You've come to the Founder Hour. This is your co-host, Posh. I'm Pat. And we're here with Zach Hanavar, the founder of One Day Entertainment, who manages Yes Theory. You might have heard of him, and if you haven't, we're going to dive into them on this week's episode with Zach. So, Zach, thanks for having us, and we're excited to uh, sit down and talk to you. Hell yeah, man. So, why don't we just kind of kick it off with day one of Zach's life, you know? Where was Zach born? What do you do? How did he eventually end up to where he is today? Yeah, great question. Um, I was born to two great parents, uh, born in Tehran, Iran, uh, with one older sister that at the time was 12 years older than me. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's where I was born. But at a young age of four, my mother and my sister and I moved to uh, Canada. Uh, so that's really where you know I was kind of became uh, into adolescence and then into my teenage years where I went to high school, where, where I went to elementary. Um, and that was truly, truly a blessing and a, and a wonderful privilege to be able to be lucky enough to, to grow up in, in North America and in Canada in such a great country. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I, my parents were also born in Iran and I know the kind of immigrant kind of mindset and lifestyle coming here, like with nothing literally and kind of trying to build from scratch essentially in a, in a new country. So I can imagine like, I don't know, tell me about like what your, the dynamic was like in the house growing up, like what did you, did your parents like force school on you and like all that kind of stuff or what was it, what was it like? <laughs> well, I guess the, the Middle Eastern immigrant mentality is definitely like, you know, school comes first. And my sister was very like, she was a, a top student in her class always. So the, mm-hmm. the pressure on me was always like, look how great your sister has done. You've yeah. also got to live up to that standard. I hated school from, from, you know, the earliest I could remember, um, I always wanted to spend my time doing extracurriculars or playing sports or doing whatever else that was like fun and social rather than mind-numbing paper pen work. Uh, but growing up with that uh, coming here from Iran, I remember early on it was just difficult because one, growing up with a single mother, my mom always had to work. So I spent a lot of time alone um, from, I believe, the age of four or five. I was spending Saturdays by myself while my mom was working because I didn't have school. We couldn't afford a babysitter, so I spent a lot of time just kind of figuring shit out by myself. Mm. Um, what would you do? Like, go to some things? Watch you do TV, and yeah. you know, I would cook, like, make my own breakfast. At I four? Like, at four or five, yeah. So, I, and my mom would like leave out cereal in a bowl with milk in the fridge, and like, kind of leave me instructions because you know I'm yeah. four or five. But sometimes I would just experiment with shit. Yeah. Sometimes I would have like. What happens if you put Coca-Cola in your cereal? Like, what happens there? Why do Eggo waffles have to go in the toaster? Why can't you put them in the microwave? And I would, like, do – I had, like, certain horror stories where I left Eggo waffles in the microwave for 30 minutes and it, like, smoked up the whole house. I was, like, five years old. But um, it also taught me how to be comfortable being alone. And, like, I think a lot of five-year-olds would freak out. And I did originally as well. Like, the first couple times, my mom would pretend like she's not home and see how I would act. Right. And then kind of, you know – discipline me of like, no, 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 you don't open the door and go outside when you're home alone. You stay inside. You don't answer the door unless you know who it is. And if I call, you only pick up if I call twice. So there's all these rules, but yeah. it, it taught me how to be independent and it taught me how to kind of look out for myself. And yeah. What Do you part think, of Canada yeah. were you from? Uh, I originally, when we moved, went to Vancouver, but I spent the majority of my time in, in Toronto growing up. And do you think like that kind of, I mean, you know, the way it was as a kid where you had, you kind of had to just figure things out on your own. Um, do you think that led to you having a dislike for school? Cause of like, I don't know, like me personally, like, um, I felt like sort of the same way where it was kind of like, you know, school isn't just, especially like public education and, and all that stuff in like the U S at least, um, 
it's not just education. It's like the whole social aspect. And, you know, um, sometimes, you know, it's not as mature. Like the people aren't as mature as you might be if you're like more like an independent person. So I don't know. Uh, what do you think? Like, what, wh- I guess my question was like, why do you, why did you have a, such a dislike for school? That's, that is a good question. And I, I don't know if I've ever looked back and, and thought of the direct reason. I think um, in elementary school, uh, the dislike wasn't as, as like noticeable, like, yeah. uh, but it was just more so uh, I w- was going to school when I was having fun, was more socializing, getting to know people and having fun at recess and like building clubs and like teams and, you know, whatever. Uh, but later on, I think in, in uh, later elementary school and in high school, it was more so I started realizing we're not being taught anything that's going to matter in my life. And a lot of these teachers demand my respect, but what have they done to earn it? Mm. And I had this like mentality of, this person is just an adult that's gone through the same phase and unless they're treating me in a certain way that I feel like they care about my future, at the end of the day, they're clocking in and clocking out. And mm. I think I saw that a little bit more visibly than other um, students. Mm. And so I, I, I kind of took it as if I feel like this teacher is really passionate about teaching and t- passionate about changing you know, the course of a youth's life in school, then I gave that person my respect because I felt like they were approaching what they were doing uh, passionately. But when I looked at teachers and said, you know, this person either became a teacher because other things didn't line up for them or, you know, they're teaching ninth grade sociology because that was whatever was open and they didn't actually care about the future of those kids in that class. Then I was like, I'm not going to give you my respect just because you're older. Yeah. Like some teachers, you can sense like the misery when they walk into the classroom and then some of them, you can see the passion. Like they just love being there. Like they wouldn't want to do anything else. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel you. So Zach, you, you obviously ended up graduating like what middle school, junior high, High school. High school went to university. Yeah. Yeah. What, what did you? What did you study at university? Business, economics, and business. Yeah. I mean, but did you want to go to college? Um, so it's a, the school system in Canada is a little different, where it's not as expensive. Yeah. So being able to take on a post secondary education doesn't put you hundreds of thousand dollars in debt. It puts you maybe forty, fifty thousand dollars in debt. Um, and my marks were terrible in high school, and towards the end of my high school. Uh, my mother had a conversation with me where she was like, hey, listen, if you try really hard, maybe you can go to college. And college in, in Canada is like the equivalent to community college. Mm. Um, and I was like, what are you talking about? I'm going to university. Like, I'm going to go to a prestigious yeah. school. And she was like, with what grades? And yeah. I was like, oh, I just haven't been trying this whole time. Yeah. Um, and that was the other thing was like with school was like, I don't need to get grades just for the sake of getting grades. When these grades count to university, 100%. then I'll get grades. Yeah. And she's like, all right, let, show me. Yeah. Um, and so I did and I got into a school. And uh, for me, it was more so I just knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't have a business idea. And I thought that maybe I could buy myself some time by learning business at you know a formal post-secondary mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. And uh, the network and stuff that I would get from there would be uh, valuable for for setting up whatever connections yeah. and businesses I wanted to. And, and did future. you get that? Did you get that education that you expected you would get? And I don't know, met the people you thought you would meet. I didn't get the education I thought I would get. Business school didn't teach me any of the business that was relevant for an entrepreneur. Yeah. What it did though was t- give me the network. Yeah. Um, and it and it put me in the room. Is that what I always like refer to it as? A lot of people will write you off if you don't have that university education, um, and they won't even give you a chance. But mm-hmm. just being able to say, "Oh, I have my bachelor's and what in business," is enough for some people to be like, "Okay, well, he's proven that." And right. 
He must have learned something. He, he must, must know something. something. Or he yeah. knows how to... I always say it just taught me how to work hard. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it's a lot of deadlines. It's, I took... It was always had a business on the side of like school and I was doing stuff entrepreneurially. I always called myself a serial entrepreneur in university. Um, so it just taught me how to manage a million different things and work really hard, which is probably a skill that is right. the most needed for an entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious because I was literally the same way. I mean, I went to business school thinking, you know, I, was, I wanted to be an entrepreneur too and thinking like I would I, I learn practical things and what I ended up learning, I mean, some were practical, but a lot of things were set up for, you know, a career path like investment banking or consulting or something where it was like much more just kind of narrow. Um, so, I mean, how did you... I guess, like, how did you draw the most out of college? Like, how did you, what did you, what were you like as, you know, as a, in college? Like, what, what did you do? Um, I was still, like, very focused on, like, a new college. Everyone kept telling me it's going to be your, your most fun years. And I hated that because I was like, dude, if this is our most fun years, like, that, like, we're fucking that up. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so I always had, like, a, I need to, to set the grassroots here and the foundation in college for my, to make sure that these are not the best years of my life. Um, and in college, I was, I, I definitely like did the typical college party scene and, you know, go out and have fun with my friends and played a lot of sports. But I also was always looking for opportunities of ways to make money because I was paying my own way through school and I took on a bunch of debt. I was always thinking to myself, like, how do I find an opportunity to create some supply demand scenario yeah. where I can provide some sort of service or product that the kids around me want and need? Um, so that was a big part of my mentality. Um, and the other within school was I just want to get by. I just need to get by because at the end of the day, people, as long as I have that piece of paper, will never know or ask what my marks were. Yeah. All they need to know yeah. is I got the piece of paper. So, yeah. and now I've, I've read in a bunch of books that it's like a, it's actually very popular mentality for entrepreneurs throughout college is just do enough to get by, but then go really risky on the startups and things you yeah. do. Yeah, or like absorb as much as you can and don't worry about your grades. Just like learn, like like have a bias for learning, not bias for trying to get good grades because those are two very different things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Were you working while you were in college? Like, I mean, you said you were like a serial entrepreneur, but what were you doing? What projects were you taking on? Yeah, so uh, throughout every summer I was working. And so that was through like uh, I had found a job at a finance company called Sun Life Financial. Um, that was the other thing is college taught me what I didn't want to do. Yeah. Because I did originally 100%. go into college and be like, hell yeah, investment banking. Yeah. It's really yeah. cool and I'll make a shit ton of money. Any, any business school you go to, that's the, yeah. that's the number one oh, thing. You I walk banking? in, it's oh, like, hell yeah. Yeah. oh, you can do whatever you yeah. want after three years yeah. in there? Okay, yeah, yeah cool. That's exactly. worth it. And then I realized, I think it was a lot of like self-realization, like, okay, everyone just seems to be talking about the money of it. And mm -hmm. is that worth giving away five years of your life right out of yeah. school? Um, but to answer your question around the businesses I was starting, one of the earlier ones I started uh, was a tutoring company. So I created a, a company where I hired, there was a, a, a club at our university called SOS that taught crash courses right before big exams for a bunch of different courses. Um, and there was a, an organization that gave, uh, had volunteers come in the class, teach the crash course, and then students paid $20 to get into the room and it would fill in with like a hundred students sometimes, sometimes more. And so I started going up to the tutors and being like, or the people that were leading these sessions and saying, you know, are you getting paid for this? And they're like, no, all the money goes to charity. So we're volunteers. And I was like, okay, well, what if I paid you $60 an hour to teach this exact same course for me? And they were like, hell yeah. So I started just doing duplicate sessions because I knew that people would miss the first class and go to the second class. And the teachers, the tutors would have a lot more fun and like, like working for me because I was paying them. Yeah. 
And then the dean of students called me into his office and was like, hey, you can't be charging kids to go into a room uh, to no, learn that a course. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, but that other organization is doing it. He's like, yeah, but they are asking for $20 as a donation and all mm. the money goes to charity. So what you should do is what the owner of that company did uh, is just make this a club. <laughs> all the money will go back to the school and then we'll donate it to a charity. We'll work with you to find the charity and then uh, we'll fund your your marketing and stuff through like the organization of the school. And I was like, we're not in charity school. Yeah. We're in business school. Yeah. Why would I start a business to give all my money away? This <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like, if there's a portion of it, sure, yeah. I'm more than happy. I don't need to. a tax write-off right now. <laughs> exactly. So I ended up just being like, okay, cool. I won't do it at the school. I went to the church across the street and was like, do you guys have classrooms in the basement of your church? And yeah. they were like, yeah. I was like, what's the rent? They're like, we're a church. We can't charge you, but we'll happily take donation. I was like, here you go. Here's like yeah. a certain amount of money for every class that I run in your in your basement and started doing them there. So that was one of the first was, ones. Were you making money? Oh, we were making a lot of money, yeah. Because it was, again, charging for a two, three-hour session. I was... Yeah giving a tutor $60 an hour, which was $60 more than they were getting right. across the street. Yeah. And then I would charge students 10 to $15 rather than $20 to get in, which was cheaper than what they were getting yeah. across the and street. And you're not doing anything but marketing. And I was just standing outside lecture halls with like yeah. little cut-up brochures that said crash course here at the basement of the church this time to this time, show up. And I would just stand outside the lecture hall when it ended, handing those yeah. out. And I would get an insane turnout because everyone wanted to crash And what work. was your like thought process throughout this time? I mean, I know obviously this was something that you knew was going to be short-lived. Like you're in college and it's working there. But once you leave college, like, I don't know. I don't know if you thought you were going to continue to do that. But, um, you know, like were you just kind of like, I just want to get my like hands and feet wet with like just business and learning just like doing by doing. Mm -hmm. uh, or was it mostly just like make money to like or both? It was a portion of it was money, but the yeah. other thing was I would tell people because you know people ask you what do you want to do, what do you want to be uh, after school, yeah. and I I would always say an entrepreneur, and usually the question I always got was okay, well then what's your million dollar idea? Yeah, literally in those in those words, and I would always think to myself, well I don't have a million dollar idea, and I could wait and sit around for the eureka moment of like oh there it is, and now I'll go chase it, but I also realize if that opportunity comes around and I don't have the basic skills set up for hiring or marketing, or sales, then I'm going to let that opportunity like pass way by me and I'm not going to be able to take advantage of it. Or even to know that it's an opportunity in and yeah. of itself. Like you don't know the, the depth of that opportunity unless you've been exposed to what's possible, right? Yeah. So, so I think there was a moment where I said, you know what, I, it, this idea that I run with or any idea that I run with, don't fool yourself with thinking that this has to be it. Yeah. Or that this has to be the thing that's going to make you a millionaire or whatever. Just do it for the sake of learning and approach it with like every day is going to be something new and every day is going to be a, a challenge that you'll have to overcome. And then those skills will help you for when that idea comes. So that's the approach that it was taking. So I'm, I'm curious like because I like these college business stories. Mm -hmm. um, was there anything else? So this went on for how many years, this tutoring? Business. uh two three years so while you're in college yeah two. were you doing anything else as well yeah so i took a course provided through a organization called edx mm -hmm. uh online there was a course that harvard provides for computer science it's the most taken course at harvard called cs50 and mm -hmm. it's the introductory to computer science um i found out that edx provides a lot of these courses for free online mm -hmm. so i started doing the course online my laptop broke didn't have any money to you know, get a new laptop. So I started this project, which isn't really a business, but it was an entrepreneurial kind of initiative where I wanted to find a way to buy a new laptop by selling space on that laptop mm. as marketing space to companies around the area. 
So what I did like was, on the on the on the yeah back cover on the back with cover the notion with that Apple you would be goes. like using your laptop in class and at school and people would just see exactly. So I built this pamphlet that basically said I want to learn computer science. Um, I will. I want to learn computer science so I can go to these hackathons next year. Um, I sit in the concourse of my my school campus, and this many people pass by every day. That's the average foot traffic of this campus. I go to these lecture halls. They have this many people in them. So therefore, my calculation is X amount of people see my laptop every day. Hmm. And I've partnered with a laser etching company, and they've agreed to laser etch my my laptop with X amount of logos. And I'd love your company's logo to be on there. And then I've also partnered with this newspaper, this newspaper, this newspaper to write an article if I do complete this. <laughs> and don't you want to have your ne- your company's name in that newspaper to be the people that are supporting the student that is mm. maxed out on student loans and et cetera, et cetera. Isn't that a better way for <laughs> you know it. quick sandwiches to differentiate yeah. yourselves from burrito boys uh, is one to be known for helping right. a student rather than like, oh, you give out a free Coca-Cola with every burrito yeah. that you And sell. were they all like local businesses? All local yeah. businesses, all like property management companies that are renting out uh, space to college yeah. students or food options that are around the area trying to get students to go, you know, eat lunch there or whatnot. And, and that was like one of the things that really started to get me more well-known on campus as like, oh, wow, that's such a clever idea. And oh, wow, like what a cool entrepreneurial move. So it also got my name uh, around campus as like that entrepreneur guy. Mm-hmm. So did it work out? It worked out, yeah. I have the, I'll show you guys the laptop after it's under <laughs> my bed. So it was fully laser etched, and I sold by the square inch. I believe it was around three hundred dollars per square inch squared. It's wow. a lot. Uh, yeah. So I wanted. I raised sixteen hundred dollars at the end. So I got a MacBook Air with three nice. years Apple Care nice. um, and whatever the upgrades. So you were. still use it? Uh, it's my personal laptop now. I've bought another laptop since. That's more yeah. of like work and yes theory stuff. But yeah. it's it's the, and one day when it yeah. stops working, I'll frame it and have it in a room. Yeah, but it's in a memory. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, I mean that's like that's interesting because like. You, you don't realize how much real estate you own until you be like, oh, shit, like there's space on my laptop, there's space on my side of my house or a building, there's like space on my car, like, right? Like, and, mm-hmm. you know, if you need money, it's like one way to advertise. But um, yeah. Did you end up graduating? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I ended up graduating. Um, and the first thing I did was go back to that finance company that I hated, uh, that I had Sun worked Life. at, Sun Life, that I had done every summer because they pay- were paying me the most. Yeah, um, and you're like, I'll just figure it out and once, I was just, once I'm there. My mentality was, I'm going to do this job, and I'm going to put as much money every month away to pay my student loans. I'm going to pay it off as soon as possible, and then I'm going to start a business when I'm not in debt. Got it. And six months into that, I started realizing that putting yourself in a environment like that is one draining and it sucks the entrepreneurial spirit oh, right yeah. out of you. Yeah. And you start to go into a place every day where people aren't happy to be there. Yeah. People are eager to get the fuck out. Yep. And my mentality was I'll go home and from nine to five, I'll do that. Yeah. I'll exchange it for a paycheck. And from five to nine, I'll bust my ass on whatever entrepreneurial uh, side hustle, you know, sparks me at the time. And I started to realize that what you do with your nine to five can drastically affect your enthusiasm and your mood to approach that five to nine hustle. And mm-hmm. eventually I started to, you know, talk myself out of like coming home and grinding and I started mm-hmm. to come home and play Madden or come home and just, just kill time and yeah. unwind. Um, and then six, that was when I made the switch and said, I'm going to quit and take whatever job pays whatever, but it needs to be a sales job because that's the skill that I determined was most important for an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and it needs to be at a startup, mm-hmm. um, so that I can, you know, wear a lot of hats and have a lot of impact on the mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. And that's when I found Shopify, which was where I spent the next, you know, two and a half, three years. And this was in Canada. This was in Canada. Is that where Shopify is? Yeah. 
And the city that I was in that I went to school in is Tech Capital Canada. So that's cool. where Google has their office in, in, in Canada. That's where uh, Desire to Learn and, and uh, a bunch of big uh, tech companies will, will kind of have their headquarters. And mm -hmm. so that's where Shopify decided to have their sales office. And mm -hmm. yeah, the Shopify Plus, which is the enterprise version that works with big clients and yeah. big brands, ended up making their HQ there. And I got in when it was like... When Shopify Plus was at like 20 people and when Shopify was at like a few hundred people. Wow. And throughout the next three years, it grew from a few hundred to 4,000. Yeah. And you were doing enterprise sales? And I was doing enterprise sales. Ended up carving my own niche within like streetwear and, uh, and men's fashion, being mm. able to bring on and sign some of the, the bigger clients. Which is now uh, huge industry. Which is huge, yeah. <laughs> like brands like Steve Madden and Fashion Nova like out here in, in LA. Yep, yep. Um, you got them on as clients. Yeah, which Fashion Nova I think is like, uh, I was looking at as like the top three biggest Shopify. Uh, it's the website. top. Is it? Yeah, yeah it's like top. them. It's like it's like interchangeable with like them, Gymshark and like ColourPop Cosmetics. Yeah, Kali, oh, Kali, Kali Jenner's, yeah. Kali Jenner, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Fashion yeah, Nova is nuts. a unicorn. Yeah. yeah, one of the craziest companies I've ever seen in my so entire life. what was like the, I mean, what was the biggest thing? I'm sure you learned a lot doing mm -hmm. enterprise sales because it's, I've, I've been there too. It's, it's nuts. Like the amount of like things you're learning every day. But I guess what was the biggest takeaway from, from that job? Just sales skills, um, yeah. being able to figure out like what the process of successfully selling something is and then also uh, switching the conception in my mind of what sales is because I'd always thought like, oh, I'm going to get so good at sales, that means I can sell anything to anyone. Right. And then I realized, oh, wait a second, sales isn't convincing someone that they want something. It's just finding people who are interested in this thing and removing the friction and removing the unknowns and helping them clarify if they actually need it and if so, which version of it they need. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, you know, you don't want a pen, but I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to sell yeah. you this pen because mm -hmm. it's the best pen in the world right. kind of thing. And, but you know deep down that person doesn't need that pen. Yeah, so exactly. Like, the so because yeah. the <laughs> conception is that sales is slimy and you're trying to get people to yep. do whatever. And in certain industries, it can be if, mm -hmm. you know, the pay structure isn't set up for someone to be able to succeed without selling something. Right. And that's unfortunate. But, but then um, churn is like even worse. The churn so is you even bring worse. them in and then the next month they're out. And Yeah. And then it also <laughs> helped me understand because Shopify caters to pretty much any business that sells anything online a lot of my conversations were learning about those businesses because it helped me sell better um, right. to be able to get on the phone with a founder and ask him about or her everything from when you thought about this idea to where you are today and how did you get there. So I was basically playing the role of you guys mm -hmm. and talking mm -hmm. to a bunch of different founders mm -hmm. and saying, okay, well, let me understand your business model here. What do you need? And then help them brainstorm, okay, well, this is how you get to the next level in my opinion and here's how we can you know, provide that for you. Um, and so that started to give me a lot of exposure to different business models and different, whether it be apparel or whether it be uh, electronics or whether it be whatever services, and then kind of figure out, okay, this is what they need. This is how they get to the next how level. How long were you at Shopify? About two and a half, three years. How were you able to last? So like as somebody who wanted to be an entrepreneur or was an entrepreneur, how were you able to work for someone else and continuously make money for someone else yeah. for two and a half two and a half years is a long fucking time? Yeah, uh, it seems short in hindsight, but like mm -hmm. in the moment, even a month is a lot <laughs> when you're like making money for somebody else and not yourself, mm -hmm. and you're just earning a salary commission, whatever. But I mean, was it a struggle for you, or you kind of were enjoying it? Sh Shopify is very unique. I've never heard of anyone having an experience like that before um, in the sense that in my interview, when I was interviewing there, I said, this is going to be the last job I ever have. Yeah. I'm going to quit Shopify one day and I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. As long as you guys are okay with me, you got using you guys to learn these sales skills, yeah. then we have an agreement. And they were like, love your transparency. Hell yeah. We just want people who are down yeah. to learn how to yeah. sell. Um, well, yeah, because for them, ideally, like 
you are not the end all be all like they want right. to grow so yeah it's okay if you leave eventually. and while i was there it allowed me to operate very entrepreneurially like mm-hmm. they allowed me to work wherever i wanted to take whatever days i wanted yeah. to off as long as you sell in sales yeah you can do whatever you Anything. want you're an entrepreneur yeah um and then the other thing was i mean quite frankly money like mm-hmm. when you're selling and you have success in sales, you make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really important for me, both one, to pay my student debts off. But then as soon as I paid my student debt off, I was like, well, you know, this is really cool and I can learn a lot here. And the thing was, I always ask people, what would you do if I gave you $500 million and see if people would stop doing what they're doing on the day to day or if they that's how I think I find people's passions. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking myself that question there. And it was never like quit and start a business. I didn't think I was ready yet. I thought I still had more to learn in sales. Mm-hmm. And I made the transition when I really felt like I think I've taken anything, everything I have to take away from this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now every day that I'm putting into Shopify is not giving me that same return that it was, you know, six months ago or a year ago. And, and what do you mean by that? Like what was, what, where, how did you measure the return? I think more so just how I felt uh, I was learning. So whether yeah. it was... Uh, kind of felt like you were doing the same thing over and over yeah, again. And it was working. And but as like, soon as it got to that, yeah. I remember there's a day where I wrote in, I have like a journal that I'll write in. And there was a day that I wrote, wow, I think I'm not learning anymore. Mm. And then I was like, okay, a change needs to happen. Gotcha. Um, and so before that, it was always like, wow, I'm every day I'm like figuring out a new business. Every day I'm learning how another like tactic within sales that has more success. So I'm learning how to like start the call talking about them rather than talking about me. I'm learning how to not care about the deal because if you care too much, then mm-hmm. they can smell the desperation yep. and then you'll run away. So all these things, every day I was like, okay, that realization, okay, remember this, remember that. Here's how to manage people because then I started to become a mentor and, and bring people on. So all yeah. these different skills I started to accumulate. Were you managing, were you leading there? Like, I, you had a, yeah. I ended up becoming a sales lead, but I ended yeah. up being someone that the the directors and stuff would look to right. to uh, train help and, and like, train yeah, other people on board because yeah. um, I was at the time like uh, lucky enough to be whether the top or the top two three sales reps in any given month mm-hmm. um, and so they trusted me with a lot of responsibility and a lot of like you know whatever it is that you're doing that's working like help bring these people up as well to be able to have them have right. the same mm-hmm. level of success mm-hmm. so you're there for a couple of years and here you are with you know kind of this new sales acumen you know that you learned and you're like ready to go what do you end up doing afterwards so i would come to la all the time because obviously there's a lot of apparel brands and streetwear brands in la and i met the yes theory guys just as friends and we How'd you meet? a mutual friend of mine had introduced us and said uh you guys need to, to meet up. And he knew that I was coming to LA and he's like, Oh, I just met with them. I was just in LA. I told mm-hmm. them you're going to be in town. Backstory behind that is like, this guy was my roommate in college and knew Matt from Yes Theory. Mm-hmm. And, and were they doing Yes Theory at the time or were they doing? They were doing something called Generation Why Not. And yeah. even when they, he first told me like, Oh, I went to Montreal to do my semester of work. I met this guy named Matt. You guys are super similar. You guys should meet. Mm-hmm. and uh, he came back and I was like, that's a weird thing to tell someone that like they should meet some dude you met on your work yeah. trip in Montreal. Like, yeah. uh, But then he came to me and was like, dude, that Mac guy, he's now you know making YouTube videos and it's called Project 30. And then I was like, cool, that's really great. And then he would come to me and be like, that guy is making Snapchat videos and is on, selling a series to Snapchat. And so that kind of went how on. How old were they? Or how old were you at the time? 23, 23. Um, and then so yeah, I came to LA. We, we met up on Abbott Kinney at Greenleaf and had salads and all, the whole team came out and within 15 minutes we facetimed my buddy and we're like holy crap why didn't you push for this harder like <laughs> we immediately hit it off in the way that we the outlook that we took upon life which is you know their message of you know trying to always push yourself and grow and develop and search for the best version of yourself 
And um, they said, if you're ever back in LA, stay on our couch. And coincidentally, I was back in LA a week later. Mm. And I said, you know, this is why you're still at Shopify. This is why I'm still at Shopify. Yeah. And Shopify pays for my hotel while yeah, I'm yeah, in LA. But yeah. I was like, I'd rather I've sleep seen, on your couch. I've seen your <laughs> like the community that hangs out around your house, yeah. and I'd rather be exposed to that mm -hmm. than to be in a hotel room where I'm not going to meet anyone interesting or cool or you know. Um, so then uh, when I did that and I came back a week later, they were evaluating merch options, like to do merch with a with a third party company. And they asked me to look over the agreement that they were kind of contemplating at the time. And I was like, you guys can do a lot better than this. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, can you help us? And I said, okay. So we started doing their merch and me working in apparel at Shopify and whatnot, set up their site and got them the right things uh, connected. And, uh, and then people started asking them, how did you get your merch done? And, you know, they started connecting me to their other friends. And mm -hmm. then I was like, guys, if we're going to keep doing this, I don't have the time. Yeah. Why don't we just start a merch company? Yeah. And that was how we started working together was we created something called Fan of a Fan, which was a merchandising company that still exists today mm -hmm. um, that does merchandising, whether it's like providing garments or accessories or whatever for a number of different creators, athletes, musicians, et cetera. That's cool. Um, and so uh, at the time, so they were they were making content, but they were they weren't doing yes yes theory specifically. When I met them at that time, they were. Yeah. When oh, I, they were. When okay. I was first told by my friend you should meet Matt, gotcha. they weren't. Gotcha. Uh, but when yeah. I had moved out or when I had met them in L.A., uh, they had just finished the series that they sold to Snapchat. Uh, they were at about 100,000 subscribers on YouTube okay. um, to today where they're at like 3.5 million. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, they were at about 100,000. And then we started just, you know, doing the merch company, being friends. And the day I met them, I fell in love with Venice, um, uh -huh. as you guys can see why yeah. being here. And uh, I told them, I'm going to move to LA. And they were like, haha, yeah, that's really funny. And I was like, no, 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 guys. When I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do something. Yeah. January 20. 18? I'm going to move to LA. Mm -hmm. um, and they said, okay. And I went back and told Shopify, hey, listen, I think that the next thing for me entrepreneurially is in LA, but I'm not ready to leave you guys yet. Is there a way that you guys can send me to LA? And they were like, let's figure that out. And so it ended up kind of becoming a way where they said, eventually said, okay, Zach, we're going to send you to LA January 2018. Like you're all set to go. And when I told the guys like, hey, guess what? I'm going to be living beside you. That's when they brought up like, oh, you should manage us on the side when yeah. you come out here. Yeah. And I thought about it and I thought about it and I realized that that was kind of the opportunity. That's also when I was starting to mm -hmm. wrote that page in my journal, like I'm not learning anymore. And I thought moving to LA would revamp that and give me a new learning curve. But I realized if I'm going to move across the, to a new country, across the continent, mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to do it to open up my own office and to open up my own co uh, company. And that's when I quit and said, you know, find someone else to, to move out to LA or to open up the LA office for Shopify and I'll manage these guys full time. Got and it. So they, that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You'd open up the LA office? No, I didn't. I ended up quitting before I did that. Yeah. And then moved out here to open up One Day Entertainment's office and manage the guys full time rather than part time. Yeah. So, um, so, so you move out here and like, obviously things are kind of rolling. You already had like the opportunity. Um, what was, I guess the biggest challenge of like just getting things going? Like, did you, was it just like kind of right off the bat, you kind of fell into it and things worked out or was it kind of like, was there ever a moment where you weren't sure that this would be like long-term? Right. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, the day of my flight out here, so it took me four months from the moment I accepted the position to when I moved out here, it took four months to get my visa. Um, and that four months I started to build confidence through doing shit tons of research on the industry. Cause the biggest challenge for me was, I don't know how content works. I don't know how YouTube videos are made. I don't know how any video is made. Um, but I understand e-commerce and apparel. So I was in a completely different domain and I didn't know anything. So I did my research and I felt confident 
And then the day of my flight was when Will Smith responded to the guys. Oh, really? Nice. Um, so I was on yeah. my way to the airport to move my life over to LA. Yeah. And right before I get on the flight, like on the way to the airport, <laughs> I see the video. Yeah. And that's when I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Well, I don't know enough to be able to deal with this <laughs> and to make sure that the guys are taken care of through this process. And within a week or two of me being in LA, I'm meeting with Will Smith's manager of 17 mm. years and, you know, transparently being like, dude, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah. So please like help me out here. Yeah. And they, everyone understands and no one was ever mean about it. But yeah. um, I was lucky enough that I got thrown into that. And because of that, the learning curve was so much more steep. And I ended up, you know, learning what most people would take years to learn in, in months. Mm -hmm. So did you have any idea of what life was going to be like in LA? I mean, were you in a, I'm just wondering, like, were you in a financial position that was, that you were even ready to move out here? Like, was there any moment of like doubt of like, is this the right decision? Like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, this can end tomorrow and I have nothing to do. Was that ever like a thought that passed your mind? I think one tendency that I've had that uh, I think is one of the tendencies I look at that I'm like, oh, I'm born to be an entrepreneur is those that self-talk always happens. Yeah. But I can always look at a moment where I make the decision in my mind and then that all goes away. Um, and so that all was self-talk that was going on in my mind before I decided like, oh, I'm going to quit my job. Oh, I'm going to move to LA and I'm going to start this management company. And that's why the company is called One Day Entertainment because I vividly remember one day. Uh, and there was one day when I quit that shitty finance company to move to Shopify. It was one day and all the self-talk moved away of like, is it risky to join a startup? Is my mom going to be scared that I'm right. leaving a prestigious finance company? All that went away. And the same that particular day where... All the self-talk of like, am I going to have enough money if, you know, these guys aren't doing well financially? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, is L.A. going to be the uh, like the wrong vibe for me or yeah. yada, yada, yada. It all disappeared as soon as I just made the decision. And do you think that tendency characteristic, whatever you want to call it, do you think that's something that people are born with? Or do you think that's something that you could, I guess, train yourself to, to th think like? I think certain people have it more naturally than others. Yeah. And it's harder to develop in, in certain people. Um, I think through uh, being able to set attainable goals for oneself and constantly achieve those goals will give you a better self-confidence to believe that you can achieve something else in the future. Mm -hmm. um, but some people have uh, that at a younger age. I think I've always had a delusional sense of confidence. Sometimes it would hurt me and then certain times like this, it would just be the thought of failing wasn't in my mind and it was never, a lot of people say, well, that person can do it, so but there's no way I could. Where my mentality has always been like, I'll see something be done, and it's like, oh, if it can be done, then I'll do it as well. Yeah, that um, same person that, figured it out the same way I would. Exactly, yeah, and I'm yeah. no different than them. I'm yeah. no different than them. Whereas some people, their self-talk is like, oh, I'm never the type of person that can, for example, run a marathon. That's just not me. That's yeah. impossible for me. Whereas for me, it was like, if I want to do it, I can do it. It's yeah. a matter of, am I going to put the time in and do that? Yeah. So I think that was something I was lucky enough to be born with. But through the uh, habit building of being able to set up attainable goals and achieve them, you can build that confidence up to a place where you have that self-belief ingrained in you to, you know, take whatever else on and then be able to, um, yeah, to have the confidence to actually do it and execute. Mm -hmm. So it's been like about a year now, um, I guess, to wrap this segment up um, that you've been with the S-Theory guys managing them. And I'm sure, you know, you've had a lot to do with the success that they've had in the, you know, the last year. Um, I guess, you know, tell us a little bit about that kind of time that you've been with them. And like, I guess maybe like what's one thing that you've like learned about maybe yourself or just the space and um, where, where do you think like things go from here? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I've learned a lot to be able to boil it down to 
one thing is tough, but I think the biggest thing with management is being able to have your success dictated by people that are not you. Yeah. Whereas I had always been an individual contributor, uh, whether it was sales or whatever else I've done, I'd always been the the entrepreneur that was, you know, all the responsibility and, and the blame fell on them, if it, whether it worked out or didn't. And then now in a management position, it's it's only up to me to a certain degree and to make sure that the guys are set up to to have success and to play to their strengths. But at the end of the day, I can't control what they do when they go up, you know, to speak or when they go out to film or when they're editing a video and it goes up. So I have to develop a sense of trust to be able to say, you know, these guys can do something better than I can. And I have to trust that within them and their skill set. Um, and then also it's been very interesting to learn about the industry of content and learn about just the industry of entertainment in general and have the veil lifted up because all my friends and my family and myself were was just a consumer of whether it be digital content or whether it be movies and shows. And now I'm finding out that there's so much behind the scenes, whether it be good stuff or whether it be politics and nasty stuff or connections or things like that, that end up being the result yeah. of how a show or a movie gets made. And I'm realizing that, you know, as a consumer, you never think of that. Like, oh, a certain person got the slot because they were the director's cousin, not because right. they were the best actor for the job. And you yeah. see that now. And I, I mean, I would love to talk about that on a future segment. With yeah. Well. So, yeah, to, uh, that's a great segue into tomorrow's segment where we'll be talking, we'll, we'll be talking about uh, the future of content creation. Uh, so that's Zach Conover. Zach, thanks for being on and sharing your story. Oh, yeah. Tune into the next one. <laughs>